part of the constitution of the, of the human condition is sort of like this, as above, so below, so that God is the great creator. We all want to be micro-creators. We all want to have our say in everything that we see. There's nothing that passes our mind, that passes our perception, that we don't have an opinion about. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, we got an opinion. And that opinion wants to shape whatever that is. You know, because we have the nature of the Creator within us. It's, it's inherent within us. Just like as a biological creature, you have the inherent nature to procreate. You never thought, oh, I want to procreate. That nature is naturally there. It naturally arises. It's just part of your programming. See? Part of your psychic programming is to create. Is is to create. Now the problem is, is that we have that notion of I, which is in I equals ego, meaning limited small creator. <laughs> That's who we are. We're limited, small creators. But we're in the situation of being like, uh, we absolutely have that power. We definitely do. But we're, we're more like the, uh, the raindrop as opposed to the ocean. They have the same constitution, but they don't have the same scale. <laughs> but the constitution, the, the essential constitution is the same. It's just a matter of scale. One is limited, one is limitless. See? One is partly informed, the other is fully informed. <laughs> See? So we have to understand that we have this inherent disposition of wanting to create, wanting to change, wanting to manipulate. Now if I tell you to put that on, on hold, don't you think you're going to go a little bit radical thinking, no way? <laughs> I am the creator of my destiny. I want to do this, I want to do that. And see, the thing is, that sentence started, I, 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 I feel this, I think that, I do this. It all started with that mini creator. Now, some, some yoga teacher comes along and says, you've got to suspend that notion of I. He's not telling you to throw it out. He or she is not telling you to throw it out. But they are telling you to put it into suspension. Now, isn't that going to give you a subconscious or conscious radical reaction? What do you mean? Suspend I. Suspend me? My most valuable creation? I don't think so. See? That's why this business takes so long. Because the teacher is, is, is sort of asking you to do psychically outrageous things. Suspend you? Suspend I? Who you put so much effort into? You know, if you've got 63 years, you've got 63 years of, of supporting that concept. Of course, he's like, oh my God, is this guy a madman? Is he, a, is he holy or is he mad? That's a lot of yogis, no one knows whether they're a saint or a madman. Mm. But then, Hedichan, where does the action come from? Like, how, how do you suspend I and still take action? That's a good question, interesting. The very... The very fact of your existence, the very fact of your existence is an action. But the 
because of your habit of taking action, your notion of action is very uh, obviously dynamic. But the very fact of being is a verb. The very fact of being is a verb. See? But the key is, is to slowly... You're seeing the entire creation through that little tiny raindrop. And the teacher's job is to try to get you to see the creation through the ocean. But you're totally, totally, totally invested in that raindrop point of view. Because in that raindrop, that little raindrop point of view, you have control. You, you based on all your notions of who you think you are, you have some control. You, you, you can inject some energy into that circumstance and affect some change. And the eye always wants to create a change based on its action. See? And then I, I tell you, well, you have to slowly try to neutralize that. That's like saying, well, get into a coffin and die. You know, that's how people are thinking about it. No one's, you know, no one's going to jump for that. <laughs> because the truth is, even if the eye tries to create a change, it's either going to happen or it's not. It doesn't actually, we, our actions aren't influenced by our own thinking, right? Not, not entirely. This, this is a very subtle, sophisticated conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's things I could say, but I don't want to confuse the issue. Yeah. Um, okay, let's start this way. Every action, every thought, every feeling is temporal. It means it has a beginning and an end. It's not a permanent condition. In this temporal reality, you can affect a change. Okay. In the temporal reality, you can affect a change, which is what you're 100% vested in, psychologically. In the unconditioned state, you cannot affect a change. It is what it is. <laughs> See? So some teachers will, I don't want to complicate it too much. Some people yeah, say nice. this is a dream body life, mm. but that's a whole another subtle discussion. But let's, it's easier to say using scientific terms, temporal conditions that we're, that we're presently fully invested in. See? And we make, we make our decisions and our perceptions based on relative realities. Not reality itself, but our perception of how things are. See? but we put a lot of energy into validating our perceptions. Mm -hmm. And then we, we convince ourselves that this is so. See? Right. These, are, these, these are all based on notions that we emotionally validate. So we say it's 100% so, or 98% so. But if we really are radically honest, not so. Mm -hmm. It's not so. It's my perception based on, on my lens of awareness based on my history. See? Mm -hmm. Your mother could be standing next to you and she'll see something completely different. You know, 
Your son will sit there and he'll see something completely different based on his or her history. See? It's all profoundly relative. Now, when you're trying to study meditation, you're trying to move out of the outside of the condition of relativity. You're trying to come to conditions of stability. See? You're moving from the relative to this to permanent or to or to the stable. The unstable to the stable. Mm -hmm. And in the process of moving from the unstable to the stable, you are slowly starting to identify with the stable. Prior to meditation, you identified 100% with unstable conditions. 100% identification. Mm -hmm. Now, in the process of meditation, there's a, there's a slow melting of what you thought the way things were. You, you see things in a very dimensional way. You know, it has height, it has uh, width, it has depth. You know, height, length, and depth. So we look at everything that way. Is that, is that all there is? I don't think so. You know, the physicists are saying there's infinite dimensions now. Finally, they're getting onto it. The Rishis of the past have said that all the time. So, you're, you're, you're changing your psychic disposition in meditation by learning to place your attention on elements that are constant. See? So, your frame of reference is now changing. Because now you're looking, you're, you're, you're starting to embrace something that is stable as opposed to embracing something that was infinitely unstable, changing every moment. But we sort of said, I'll go along with that because it works for me now. It's not really real, but it works for me. As, as you um, become more psychically stable, and as you start to embrace all of these uh, sub-programs that are running, as you stop embracing them and allowing them to be released, because the only reason they're in the subconscious is being held is because you're holding them there. You know, they're unresolved issues that they've just been pressed down. I'm not going to deal with it now. It's a little uncomfortable. Put it away. But it didn't go away. You just denied it. <laughs> You just you're in a state of real massive denial, you know. So if we can now shift our attention to something that's more stable, and then we can allow a release of all of this infinite psychic debris, then more peace comes. And through our psychic facility, all of these suppressed uh, irritations, suppressed frustrations, suppressed hurts, suppressed um, confusions, they're all, one way or the other, blurring our clarity of vision. See? They're all affecting us, either actively or passively, they're affecting us. Now, as you release them and allow them to resolve without you participating in it, don't you think your clarity of vision starts to change? So, if you looked out through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of Krishna, through the eyes of Buddha, what did he see? What did they see? When you look out through your eyes, what do you see?
See, this this is the evolution of man. We have to eventually see through the eyes of Jesus, of Buddha, of Krishna. See, we have to experience the world through through the heart of Jesus, through the heart of Buddha, through the heart of Krishna. See, are are we doing that? No. Why aren't we doing that? Because we have all of these suppressions, all of these unconscious, unresolved issues in our subconscious that we're holding on to, that we're maintaining, that's blurring our vision. So if, 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 if these great saints or these great rishis make these great cosmic uh, statements that are what we consider platitudes, but what they consider reality, why? Because they're seeing the world through a clearer perception than we're seeing, seeing the world. Raj? What actually decides when these subconscious programs comes up? It's not a, hmm, that's a, uh, again, a, a complicated answer. Uh, it's, it's not a, a singular process. There's, sometimes it's simply a spontaneous arising. That's one thing. Sometimes an arising will occur simply because some element of nature, meaning human or any, 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 anything existing, will, will be present, you'll be proximal to it, and it'll, it'll spark it to arise. Someone will say something, or you'll see something, and then, then that feeling or memory will, will arise. So that's two things. And the third thing is karma. It, 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 it's trying to fruit and resolve itself. See? So that's three events that can cause an unconscious process to arise. Okay? There's maybe more, but that's three that I can think of immediately. See? So, there's all this stuff, you know, that's going on that we're not aware of that's affecting our, our experience of life. So we enter meditation to try to take the lid off of this stuff because it can putrefy, you know, unresolved, 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 you know. It's like an unattended wound. It doesn't get better until you attend to it, you know, and it can cluster with other, other other like vibration conditions so that what was small, but if you get 10,000 small things put together, it becomes a real neurosis. See? It becomes a real functional problem that you say, I don't know where this comes from. I don't know why I have that fear, you know, but I can't get into an elevator or I can't stand next to a red-headed person, you know. It could be any kind of neurotic thing or, or how you see this, this person or that person or this gender or that gender. You know, it's because all of these hidden seeds have clustered together now because of light vibration. And they've, they've manifest as a neurosis in, in your psyche. And you say, where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. See? But in the process of your, your meditation, now, and I'll say it in another statement in just a moment, you're allowing all these unresolved issues to arise 
and to slowly break apart because they're no longer we're no we're no longer holding them. So if we're not holding them, there's a natural dissolution. So 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 that's occurring. Now we have all of these suppressions or types of filters blocking you can say a cosmic light, a divine light, an inherent light, and also a stable condition from, from fully informing the human psychic condition. So as, as these, um, as these uh, phenomena that are held in the subconscious resolve themselves, we become aware of a deeper and a greater nature. One, we're becoming aware of it. Two, we're not blocking it. A lot of times, there is there is a flow of energy, of you know, I don't want to sound too new agey, but this happens to be true, of, of a divine <laughs> cosmic energy, a divine cosmic energy. You can call it the will of God. You can call it the grace of God. You can call it the presence of God. That's always flowing, but we reject it. See. Why, why are the saints always like this? They're always head bowed. They're, they can humbly receive what is the divine nature, the divine kingdom, the divine energy, the divine cosmic light. They, they're simply receiving it. It's not that the sun is not shining on us. It's that we don't, we don't, we reject it. We say, this is who I am, this is what I want to do. This is my feelings, this is my thoughts, this is my actions, and we don't want to accept this inflow. See? Because we're we're defining ourselves in a very limited, very narrow way. And anything outside of that spectrum we're not interested in. As where the saints and the masters are a completely different situation. They have neutralized um, their sense of self-creation and humbly receive the creation. So the saints and masters are always acting in a condition of grace, in a condition of receptance of grace, manifestation of grace. See, They manifest what they receive from the kingdom, they manifest in life. So they have these sanctified personalities and this sanctified action which becomes a sanctified history. See, They become conduits of the kingdom, conduits of the light, conduits of the grace. That grace is on all souls, but, the, but, but we turn our cups upside down, and they turn their cups right side up. That's the difference between the, the masters and saints and the human beings. See? One turns their cup down because they want self-sovereignty. The other one turns their cup up and empty. The cup is empty and receives, <laughs> and receives the kingdom. See? That's the difference between a common human being and a saint. You know, which way the cup is facing. <clears throat> which means, one cup down, ego. Cup up, you know, humility, acceptance, receptance. See? Yes, Ami. So I'm still sort of stuck on how to take action in that temporal reality. Like, how we can continue to open ourselves up to be that instrument to sure. something greater. Sure continue to meditate and feel even glimpses of that energy through us and then to act out of 
that knowledge in the temporal reality. Sure. That's what saints do. <clears throat> the very, very first thing, there's two big things. Become aware that you're not all that. <laughs> right. You know? You know? That's, a, that's the first thing. You know? You are not the sovereign. <clears throat> so become aware of that. And, and become aware that the very fact that we're here on this planet means we're all patients. That we should lovingly rece receive ourselves as nutcases. Yeah. That we are not mentally well. <laughs> That's how we got here. Right. You know? One time I asked my Guruji, uh, what is the greatest disease? And without a thought, he said, birth. Mm -hmm. That really shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been thinking about it for years. <laughs> you know, you know the, the very fact that we were birthed here, and that we had all these things to work out, all these misperceptions. You know, we're not we're not having a clear vision of the kingdom, so we have to come back here and work it out. So we're all patients, and these saints and masters are the physicians who come back to help us have that vision of the reality. The vision of the truth. One part of that answer. Now, in that acquiring that vision of the truth, which will give us a, a, a clearer, saner, more compassionate, loving action, a true, a true life, not a folk life, a true life. You know, a, a life that's in a unitive experience with all of creation, not an individualized isolated life, which is what most human beings live. Mm -hmm. They don't live a unitive existence, they use, live an isolated existence. Mm -hmm. To bring that condition about, ceaseless prayer must be there. Ceaseless application of mantra must be there. Based on the wisdom that, that the, the prayer gives. If you want to understand the mind of a saint, study his prayers. Inherent in the prayers of a saint is their psychological disposition, is their psychological viewpoint, is how they see the world. So study their prayers. You'll acquire a new psychology. That psychology will lead you to greater purification. Now, the application of mantra. Mantra is a vibrational disposition from the kingdom. It's a thread of... of energy that has a particular effect. So by associating with that thread of energy or those sacred syllables, there's an inherent purification, an inherent rebalancing of the human condition. It, it will, it, 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 the, each mantra is injecting its particular quality or its particular action into your life. So the ceaseless application of mantra must be there. It, uh, uh, again, it's forming a purification. If you do the ceaseless prayer, if you do uh, ceaseless application of mantra, you are preparing the field of awareness so that meditation becomes easier because there's simply less debris. These, these things are cleaning up the mess. See? So now when you enter the process of meditation, you're entering the process with 
the vibrational energy of prayer, the vibrational energy of, of mantra, so that when you sit, you have, you're sitting with a, a disposition that allows you greater, more rapid progress, simply because you're sitting with the correct disposition. Mm -hmm. to, to have success, you need, you need many things. For success in any sacred action, you, you need correct knowledge. Okay? You need correct application of the knowledge. And you need correct environment. See? And a simple example is I can have a match that I know will light. I know it has the, the, the chemical constitutions that are flammable. Then I have to have the correct striking technique so that the match will light. So that's the technique. It must be correct. You know, if you're not striking properly, it's not going to light. You have the correct materials, but you must have the correct technique. Now, the third thing is you must have correct environment. If I, if I have the correct match, if I have the striker here, and I stick it under the water, and I try to strike it with correct technique, no ignition. If I take those same constitutes and strike it with this oxygen, the flame arises. Mm -hmm. See? So you need correct knowledge, you need correct technique, and you need correct environment. See? So sometimes people will learn some, well, most students are not that great. They get some semi-correct knowledge. And then they get some semi-correct technique. And they have a lousy environment, a lousy psychic environment. Are you really going to have success like that? No. So they have a body of attitudes that are thoroughly dysfunctional. Thoroughly dysfunctional. They're doing it all for the, all for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. no, there's not going to be any success. There's not going to be any success. But there'll be the self-delusion. There'll be a radical self-delusion. So that's why getting next to teachers, it's like getting next to a really hot pot. You know, it's, or jumping into a really hot pot. That hot pot is to render you down, to get rid of all the nonsense, see? So that just what is essential is left, see? That's why people run away from teachers, <laughs> because they're like hot pots. You, you have to be willing to, to pay everything, to give everything, to, to acquire everything. Everything that has been given must be returned in order to receive everything. Now, a master like Jesus has made that example where he became intuitively aware of the truth. And despite the cultural and the political and the physical circumstances, he spoke that truth. And in speaking that truth, the grand sacrifice had to be made. They called Jesus the Lamb of God for a reason. Because he was manifesting a truth, and he was, he was willing to give everything for that truth, in, in, including his, his uh, mortal body. See? But because he gave it all, not 99%, 100%, because he gave it all, he received it all. See, and was able to re-manifest 
in the body of God, not in the body of clay. See, a body of light. You know, the great teaching of Jesus. Full. But he, but prior to that, you saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus doing profound prayer. See, so there's that union. And many other mystical practices that this master has practiced. To give us an example, you know, he knew that his crucifixion was coming. Why didn't he get on the fastest camel out of town? <laughs> he certainly knew what was coming. But he, but he knew that by making this grand sacrifice, and in the midst of that sacrifice, showing absolute forgiveness, Thing, which is again a way to God not holding on to any harm he renounced harm though he'd been tortured he'd been injured he'd been castigated he forgave everybody <laughs> he was, there was no psychic suppression no holding on to anything just the Lamb of God showing, showing the way and became immortal, you know, through complete acceptance of the divine. See? So that's what we have to understand: is that we all have to go through our own crucifixions, you know, our own wounds that we receive, and not on, not based on our own psychological strength, but on our communion with the kingdom. Do we get past it?